If there's one truth in business, it's that customers don't want to contact you. What makes it worse is that most companies keep giving customers every wrong reason to contact them. So what would happen if this stressful friction was removed? Well, let's have ourselves a pocket-sized pep talk because today's guest has some ideas that will help customers flock to you. A pocket-sized pep talk podcast that can help energize your business and your life with a quick, inspiring message. Now, here's your host, Rob Jollis. Bill Price was Amazon's first global vice president of customer service and is the founder and president of Driva Solutions, a consultancy dedicated to creating highly effective customer contact strategies and operations. He has more than 35 years experience advising and directing major operations in more than 160 leading companies. He's the best-selling author and co-author of his newest book, The Frictionless Organization, Deliver Great Customer Experiences with Less Effort. Published by Barrett Kohler, came out in June of 22, and I'm glad he's with us. Good to have you with us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob. Great to be with you. Thanks. You bet. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. And I always like diving in right right on the book. So to me, and it's 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 a jealous phrase. If you listen to listen to pocket size pep talks, I always feel like books kind of find us. We don't find books. Mm -hmm. So what pushed you into this particular book and this title? I was uh, I was on a walk with uh, one of my good friends and neighbors a couple of years ago, and he said he was so frustrated working with his cable company, his bank, his fill in the blank. He says, Bill, you, you really have to get the word out uh, about how frustrating this can be. Uh, he had read my first book and had quoted it to some of these companies that were frustrating him. So I got a hold of my co-author who lives in Melbourne, Australia. I said, David, I think it might be time for us to update what we had written before. New technologies, new frustrations, new friction. And uh, David said, yeah, let's do it. So we uh, decided to take, uh, take my friend's advice and we decided to get, sit down and write the new book. Yeah, you see, folks, I, that's what I'm telling. We, I've never had an author here yet who said, "Oh, I don't know, it just felt like it." Mm. <laughs> There's yeah. usually a story, and it finds us. And it's interesting because at one point I was going to have both you guys on, and they yep. said, "Well, that might be challenging because we're going to have to deal with the Australian time zones and things." Yes. I went, "Okay, we'll have Bill on. Not, not an issue. Not a problem. Right, right. So, so good. All right. Well, you know, I'm looking over your materials, and and you write that. Uh, easier companies um, that companies that are easier to deal with, let's put it that way, mm -hmm. um, have um, less customers noticing them. And right. then kind of the flip side is so in other words, I'm doing everything right and companies aren't even noticing me and then you flip it. And, um, and you make the statement that more customers eagerly come back to you when mm -hmm. There's that kind of less notice. And I think this is where we're getting to this friction piece, this frictionless right. piece. So unpack that for me, because right. instinctively, I would think I've got to have contact with that customer to get them to want to come back to me. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's really, that really is kind of a, a head scratcher. And we keep coming across that with companies. It turns out that when you look at the reasons why customers contact companies for help, or to complain about something, about 80%, almost exactly for every company, 80% of the reasons are frustrated reasons. Only about 20% are positive. The positive ones would be things like, hey, I wanna buy more from you guys, or can you tell me about this new feature? Or, you know, I'm, I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to give you a suggestion for a new feature. Th those are good reasons, but most of the reasons are, this isn't working. 
or I can't find my password again, or you don't get back to me. You told me you get back to me and you haven't gotten back to me. And what's, 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 what's with this? Or where's my stuff? Where's my product that I ordered? Where's my refund that, that you told me I was going to get? And so it's always important to do a good job with those frustrated contacts. But the, the key thing for frictionless companies is why did we really have to have those in the first place? Can't we just get rid of the underlying causes, the underlying reasons? And then customers don't have to interrupt their life to talk to us. But you're going to have to be proactive to get rid of those underlying oh, reasons. Yeah. You do. So um, you do. Let's keep going because I'm I'm smelling surveys. I'm smell. What are the proactive moves? Yeah. I love it. I'm just trying to figure out how do I anticipate it before it comes up. Well, let me let me give you give you an example that we all kind of run across, which is you're you're waiting for an online order to come because it's your son's birthday or some big events coming up, and you're getting. You're not getting any warm and fuzzies from the online company that this is really going to arrive on time. So you call them up or you text them or you send a chat saying, where's my stuff? Is it going to be here by Saturday? And then they either tell you by phone or they get back to you and say, you know, actually, Rob, it's not going to get there till next Tuesday. Hope that's okay, but we'll get to you by Tuesday. And you go, no, 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 that's not okay. I need it by Saturday. Well, we can expedite. It's going to cost you more money. I'm not going to pay more money. So you can hear these conversations happen all the time. Well, that eventually gets resolved. Maybe the company eats the extra cost, gets the product by Saturday. Rob's happy with that. However, why was it that I had a customer had to call up and ask for that for that help? Why was it that it was not on time in the first place? And the root causes could be systems. It could be communications. It could be someone pushed the wrong button on on, on an inventory system and and basically it got late. And so it does take work. It does take effort to figure out. How can we prevent that from happening again? Right. And, and when companies do that, then they start figuring out, wow, we're really messing up for our customer and we're spending extra costs. We're spending extra cost and time of our own to frustrate our customers. So it's like a double win. We're making it easier for them. We're actually making it much easier for us too. Yeah. And I, I like your use of, of the word process. You know, I learned one time mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, there's so many of those num these numbers out there, but that yep. Uh, just that simple 85-15 rule of whenever you see an issue with a company, and you can tell me if I'm still on track with this one, 85% yeah, yeah. of the time, it's not a people problem, it's a process problem. Yeah, and um, of course, the neat, there, there we go again, that knee-jerk instinctive reaction is, well, mm -hmm. you know, that so-and-so wasn't nice to you at the at the counter, we'll just mm -hmm. get rid of them, you know, right, and put another right. body in there, yeah. but they're not really addressing the process. So, right. you know, I'm sort of jumping on top of your answer there and thinking that I think if we remind people that um, we're really talking about analyzing, studying, testing mm -hmm. process moves and process behaviors, right. maybe that gives us a better shot of being uh, proactive on some of these issues that you're talking about. We've got uh, a number of really fun cartoons in all three of our books. And in the new book, we, we, we've, we've got quite a few of them. And one of them talks about it has like a whole bunch of whiteboards or chalkboards and and the two people are kind of scratching their head saying after the 15th whiteboard they're figuring out that the onboarding process for their company it must be pretty difficult <laughs> and 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 customers know all these things they, they they encounter them they experience them so what we often do with with our clients or with the readers is challenge say have you ever onboarded yourself in your own company so to give you an example high-tech company, friend of mine working there, not a client some years ago. I won't name the name of the company, but a big company. And I said, how do you get tech support for your own company's products that you use every day? And she's an executive in this company. And she said, ah, I'll, let me show you, Bill. Picks up her old landline phone. She punches two buttons. 
and she speaks to a tier three tech support rep in Denver, Colorado, who was able to handle her questions right away. I said, well, but is that anywhere close to what your customers experience? She goes, well, I don't know. I've never gone in through the 800 number. I've never gone through that process. So I asked her to do it for fun. And it took her 30 minutes to go through. And she had to go through an IVR menu that was very confusing. She talked to someone who was offshore who didn't understand her and vice versa. And after that long ordeal, she said, wow, that's really different than what I go through as an executive. And that's the problem is a lot of companies, executives don't even do their own products. They don't even try their own products. They don't even. So when I was at Amazon, Jeff Bezos said one day, you know, we're making it too easy for ourselves because when all of us order products on Amazon, we're having them shipped to an Amazon building. And, and it's very easy for our staff there to sort them out and to bring them to our desk. He said, I want everyone to order it to your homes. No more ordering in the office. I want you to get that actual customer experience of a product that comes damaged or it comes late or it doesn't arrive at all, rather than having a, a back office mailroom sort this stuff out. And that was really smart because then all of us got a chance to see what it was like to be a real customer. But most companies just don't bother to do that. They don't think about those processes. Smart. You know, it's making me laugh and I'm going way back, but mm. I taught, um, I used to work for the National Flood Insurance Program mm. and we had an 800 number and they did the same thing. It was administered by FEMA and they decided to call in that number, see how we were doing. And we were really doing well. I yeah, would like yeah. to say I was ahead of the training there. Okay. And, uh, but, but I'll tell you, it was interesting that we, we had to make one adjustment based on those calls in right. because we had so many acronyms that we were running okay. for, for flood. And one of them was base flood level, BFL. One mm -hmm. of them was base flood depth, BFD. And the, the personal phone kept saying, what's the BFD? What's the BFD? <laughs> and <Yes>. uh, <laughs> And but I, I don't put a check mark by um, by language on this podcast. So look that one up. But yeah, uh, right. it's big freaking deal is what, yes, what yes, some yes. people would. And wouldn't you know, we actually had to go through and, and painstakingly remove that acronym. Oh, but yeah. but it was yeah. spotted by a call yeah. in. So anyway, it just makes That's me laugh. Uh, and we but we got we got it fixed. I'm, I want to stay on this for a second longer. So I'm I'm just wondering about the numbers, if we're that quiet mm -hmm. and we're that immaculate, mm -hmm. and I'm not fighting you on this. I promise. I just want to get, get down to it. And with that frictionless and, and, and my question is going to be a little long, but I'll shorten it up. Uh, I'm worried that, that can the client see what we, you know, really get a look under the hood of the company. And, and, and I said, it's going to be a long question. Here's why. Um, when I worked with Xerox, we had some numbers too. Everybody's mm -hmm. got some numbers on this one, Bill. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that we saw was, you know, the, that uh, if we did something that wasn't right and we addressed it, we mm -hmm. could save uh, about 60, a little over 60% of the customers who were harmed. But if we did it and we did it quickly, right. and I always threw in and do it right the first time, but that was right. never in the books, but right. it was always in mind. Right, right, right. Uh, numbers went up to 96%. And so, you know, there was an argument, never an argument to say, well, if we screw up, we can fix it. And then we really get super customers. Right. But there was an argument that, to say that maybe now customers really see what we look like right. when a top notch company, um, right. you know, skins its knee. So there's the question. If we're that immaculate, do right. we lose right. that opportunity to show like a Nordstrom's? We only learned about Nordstrom's when we had to bring something back. Mm -hmm. Other than that, mm -hmm. they kind of look the same, except mm -hmm. more people on the floor. 
All right, Your Honor, the question is over. No. I'm throwing it your way. No, it's this this topic's come up for many, many years, and I'm really glad you're raising it. The the the, the term in our in our part of the business is called service recovery. That if you recover well, you're going to have a more loyal customer. And I've had some debates with some of the proponents of that theory, and you know we go back and forth with each other on it. Uh, of course, the illogical extension is let's make some mistakes and fix them and our customers will be happier. But that's not what we're saying. What really happens, though, deep down is that not very many customers who have a problem ever complain. This is another one to think about for a moment. And the numbers vary. But let's say only one out of 10 customers that have a problem with delivery or whatever it might be bother to complain. The rest of them just go away. And so if you fix that one out of 10, good for you. But what about the nine out of 10 that didn't even bother to contact you? And, and, and yet their underlying problems are still there for the other nines out of 10 that keep going. So what we like to say and like to do is, well, let's reach out to those customers that don't bother to contact us and use the, the freed, up sales, you know, freed up support teams that are no longer handling some of this stuff. Let's actually go out to them and reach out to them and say, well, Rob, we haven't heard from you. Well, how are you doing? How's the product going? How's the service going? And you may find out that Rob's happy, or you may find out that he's really unhappy, but never bothered to contact you. So we, we use this term called the propensity to complain. And I grew up on the East Coast and East Coast of the United States, and the propensity to complain among East Coasters is higher than West Coasters where I live now. Oh, really? I'm shocked. Oh, there you go. Shocking. <laughs> the propensity to complain of Americans versus Asians also dramatically more for Americans. And yet hmm. the same incident rate happens. So you have to ask yourself, well, how do, what do we deal with not just fixing things, but also going out to those people that didn't bother to contact us? They just forgot about it. So going back to your point, it's a slippery slope. Doing a good job with a problem is, is excellent. And when that happens, it's a nice feeling for both parties. But if for some reason that customer service agent or support person in a retail shop could not fix it, it goes south really quickly. The loyalty rates go negative. So my wife returned two pairs of shoes yesterday at Nordstrom's, to your point. And she didn't have a receipt. Uh, she didn't know quite when it was. Sometime a year or two ago, they did some research right there found them, gave her the refund on her credit card right away. Fantastic. Right. And she went out and bought two more, two more pairs of shoes in, in the sale. So that was a great experience. But if she had brought them back and they couldn't find them, she would have been like, oh, well, I know I bought them here. You can't find them. So it, it's, it's a slippery slope trying to fix a problem because if you don't fix it, that's an issue. And then many customers don't even bother to tell you they have a problem. And then, but the root cause is still there. The root causes are still, per, you know, causing. I mean, it 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 really is a a twin edged sword in the in the in the sense of that word. But service recovery is a hot topic. I I I would promote companies to just debate about it within themselves to find out what those numbers are. Right, right. You know, I, I years ago I remember. Um, you're familiar with the Malcolm Baldridge Award. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I was working with Xerox when we won the Malcolm Baldrige oh, yeah. Award. Oh, yeah. And uh, what people don't realize was um, really where that hot button was that impressed the committee was the, the great and powerful Xerox. Now we're talking about the uh, late 80s, right. Right. Uh, but the great and powerful Xerox put out a, a product that wasn't right. It wasn't uh -huh. a good. It, it, it honestly looked good on paper. It was uh, <laughs> I, I sold the machine. It was called a 5046. I still remember it. It, it was. Yeah. Yeah. You, I don't want to get into my zeroid days too far, but you could basically replace about 95% of the machine with a white glove operation. So I could look you in the eye and go, yeah, it'll make good copies. And 10 years from now, it'll make good copies because mm -hmm. I knew you were going to be replacing it. We yeah. didn't know what the post office would do. 
to these to these parts. So all of yeah. a sudden we had a lemon. But the process that they went through is what impressed the committee. Uh, so yeah, it is that double-edged sword. But I'm with you. Um, I, look, I'd rather, I I don't need to make my point. You know, the next best thing at, at Nordstrom is that immaculate um, immaculate was uh, uh, taking the the, the the shoes back. But yeah. the best thing would be not having the issue at all. Exactly. And so I think we have to stay proactive on it. But it's interesting because in your writing, you talk about um, that that maybe being frictionless isn't right for everyone. So right. you have your own kind of litmus test or some questions that you'd ask. So mm-hmm. if, I, if I'm a business right now and I'm thinking, well, that sounds interesting. How do I know this is right for me? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, if, if, if you're launching new products and services, sometimes it's good to get those interactions because you're just not sure you you've, you've worked in your own, you know, alpha environment, so to speak, maybe you're doing some early beta testing, customer testing. It's sometimes it's good to engage customers for that. It does not work if you try to set it out there for everyone to deal with, but if you work with a subset of your customers in a beta environment, a, a pilot environment, and get there, there you, you want to get their feedback and you want to process it. That's really good. A second example would be the classic, I want to cancel my account. Okay, so some companies make it really easy to cancel your account or your product by just punching a button online, a digital answer. Other ones go, well, no, we're going to, we want to find out why that happens so we can learn what goes on. A third category says, we're going to make it really hard for you to cancel because we know that it, it, it's good revenue for us if you stay with us, especially for subscription type services. So if we have those three categories. We like the ones that are in the middle, which is talk to the customer, find out what was a frustration. Well, I just got married. We don't need two accounts. Okay. But we now have a family account for you. Okay. Or I'm moving out of territory and you don't service me. No, we don't. Sorry about that. It's been great having you here. Or yeah, I had this problem serious problems all along. You never did anything with it. Turns out that you never complained about it. So we didn't, the company didn't even know about it, but it's good to have that conversation because it pulls out those customers that are less willing to complain. So I think those are two examples. If you have new products, new services, it's good to engage customers to some extent to figure out what they need. You don't want to do it like, like throw something out there and have every customer deal with it, but you can do it in a controlled environment. Or in the second case, when customers say, I want to cancel my product, my account, my service, have that conversation, um, not to make it hard for them to leave, which I mentioned is an option, but rather learn from what's going on, learn what was going on and apply that to improve it. Maybe you've still lost them. Maybe they still want to cancel. You might be able to save them, but at least you can learn what goes on and apply it to other customers in, in, in the future. Yeah. And, and, you know, welcome to our next slippery slope, because that's a, that's a tough one. You, you do want to learn, you know, even when I work with people in job transition and they don't get yep. the job, you know, it's, it's difficult to teach them that a, I want you to get feedback, but B, I don't want you to continue selling. Exactly. I want you to learn from the feedback exactly. because everyone's very wary of that. And, you know, it's yeah. interesting. I don't know how successful it is. My guess it's been, it's very successful this new app that's out that will basically check and cancel things for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a true something or other. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen that one out there. I can't right. think of it either, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 we're not picking on any particular cable company, but try canceling your cable sometime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will be transferred to uh, the nicest human being in the world. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's the finance department at the, autom- at the automobile shop. Uh, <laughs> these are where the real salespeople are. And, uh, and, and it's difficult, 
I'll leave you with one last thing, just a quick funny story. But as a kid, I got Sports Illustrated when I was like 13. Mm-hmm. And I had it for a number of years. And then I kind of wanted to get rid of it. And Sports right. Illustrated back then was right. just, they would not take no for an answer. And I was like, yeah. they, they talked me into a few times. But one time I was like, yeah. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And they, after about 10 tries, yeah. They sent me one final card with a pitcher walking off a mound with his head down. Uh-huh. And it said, we're retiring your number. And it had, you know, like a 22 digit yeah. number and letters. And, yeah. you know, and I looked at it and I want to tell you, Bill, it worked. I was like, oh, they're not retiring my number. No, sir. <laughs> and I got Sports Illustrated got another five years out of me from that one. But I digress. I'm just telling you, that's why that app probably exists. Yeah. because they're very good at it. We think we're good at it. These are pros. Uh, right. Okay. Right. Uh, but, but uh, so, so the questions, so, so are there, so let me stay on that. Are there questions that if, um, I run a business here? Yeah. Um, should I be frictionless? I run a training company. Right. How would I know? Yeah. Well, we, 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 we've got, we've got, we've got some questions that, that, that might help uh, in any, any, you know, small entrepreneur all the way up to big companies. We 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 want to look at the reasons for these contacts. Let, let, let's break down the reasons for the contacts. Are they in that 20, 15 to 20% category that are positive? Hey, I want to learn more. Uh, this is really cool. Can you tell me more about this? Uh, can, can here's a new idea for you? The ones that fit in that in that positive category. Or are they ones like, you know, I, I can't access your tool or your your training module doesn't fit with my with my browser. You know, it only seems it doesn't work with Chrome or it doesn't work with whatever, whatever. And and all those are, are are fixable at the moment. But if if you have a lot of customers using, let's say, Chrome for online training and you realize that it's somehow not compatible with Chrome, then you're probably upsetting a lot of customers who don't even bother to contact you. So look at the rate of contacts by customer as what we look at is the rate, the percentage of contacts per customer or per training module or per order shipped or per embedded product that's out there in the marketplace. So cable companies to pick on them for a moment, they've got lots of different set top boxes and routers and so forth. What is the incident rate per router uh, out there? Because maybe some of the routers are really the problem. It's not necessarily the, the, the service itself, it's the router is broken or isn't compatible anymore. So I'd say, you know, figure out what the what these reasons are and break them into these different categories that we describe in the book. And then look at the rate of contacts. If the rate of contacts is going up, that's a bad sign. If the rate is going down, you at least are moving in the right direction, but is it fast enough? And then, you know, from social media, you know, from comments and, you know, from where they buy more stuff, you know, are they buying, are they re-upping and buying more training? Are they buying more products? Are they renewing a subscription service? If the answer is no, they're not, you know, the renewal rates are going down. Well, that's a real problem. Uh, so we look at those rates of contacts and rates of renewal as, as pretty good, uh, pretty good signals. Okay. All right. The book is frictionless. The frictionless organization deliver a great customer experience with less effort. How's it doing? Been out for a month or so. How you, how you guys? Yeah, doing? we uh, we got some really great pre-orders, uh, Rob, and now it's it's selling nicely on Amazon in about seven countries around the world. Good. Uh, David's in Australia, as you mentioned. Our other business partners are in other countries around the world. And uh, yeah, we've been asked to uh, speak at some uh, industry uh, meetings and conferences around the world. So it's beginning to get some good take up. And I appreciate the opportunity to chat about today. Excellent. Well, um, although we haven't met, we're, we're both Barrett Kohler authors. So you got yourself a great publisher there. Uh, I'm, I'm always uh, sing the praises of Barrett Kohler. 
Good. Yeah, my my yeah. first time with them, I was with another big international firm for two books, and now it's great to be with BK. Well, you'll, you'll, you'll like BK. We'll talk a little bit more off the air, but you'll really like that. BK. Okay. Uh, okay. Hang tight. Well, let me, two more questions. I'll let you go. All right. I'm, I'm fine. It's great. Okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm a sales trainer and, um, you know, I, I recognize that the fact that on the surface, people think that they buy people buy solely on price. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm not so sure I agree with that. Um, and you you say the customer's experience is more important than price as well. You go first on this one, kind of because I, the knee jerk reaction again is that for particularly smaller com where companies are listening is uh, right. we've got to beat the other company's price. Right, um, right, right. Let's both of us help people understand why that's not you know in the absence of value. Yes, yeah. make yeah, sure yeah, that yeah. you beat them on price. But yeah. let's both of us try and put that one to bed. You go first. Yeah, I, I'll mention one well-known brand name, which is which is it doesn't fully cover it, but but I like to use it. We talk about it in the book, which is Tesla. So Tesla is not the cheapest car out there. It's not the cheapest electric vehicle out there, but it's got really good reviews from from its uh, its owners and drivers. Partly because it's an easy experience. Uh, you don't have to worry about going into a uh, to a dealership and haggle on price. Everything's online. The product is either available at the at the service location or they'll deliver it to your home for you. Uh, the, the updates are done through what they call firmware upgrades over the, over the, uh, the web, you know, once every three weeks or so at 1.15 in the morning. And, and so you don't really need to take the car back in for very much service at all. And so it is frictionless in many ways compared to the typical environment of buying and servicing a combustion uh, engine car, internal combustion engine car. And so customers are willing to pay a bit more for that because the total cost of ownership, the total cost, including my effort, needs to factor into the actual value proposition. And so that's, that's just one example to think about. The other one is, is the service we're using for this discussion is Zoom. And Zoom's founder was the technical VP of WebEx when WebEx and is still owned by Cisco. And Eric Kwan, uh, was, was lobbying for a less expensive but feature-rich service inside of the Cisco community to be a companion to WebEx. And the WebEx folks said, no, 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 we don't need it. Everything's doing great. And so he left, formed Zoom, and it's been a huge success. His product is now pretty expensive. It actually isn't the cheapest one out there, but it's very reliable, and it's being used by educational institutions, by interviews like this. I use it in my business, too. And so he started out by being a little lower cost, but now with the features that he's adding, it's actually very expensive, but it's totally reliable. And so it's, it's, these are just two brands or many other ones that we can think about that, that are out there. There's some premium brands in, in jewelry and in clothing. Uh, Nordstrom, not the cheapest place to go buy some of your clothes, but as we mentioned earlier in this call, a lot of Nordstrom customers have their Nordstrom stories. They love the Nordstrom uh, returns or the help that they get. Uh, and, and they're willing to go back to talk to Nordstrom and not necessarily some lower cost uh, retailers. So I think there, there are a number of good examples that are out there. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a, there's some peace of mind there. Hey, I'm going to make a sales trainer out of you after all, uh, because <laughs> we use that term TCO, total cost of ownership, a great okay. deal. And, um, and one of the questions that we'll frequently ask a customer when there's a pushback is, yeah. you're talking about the cost of purchasing it or owning it? Of yeah. which case most people kind of look 
somewhat dumbfounded go i don't yeah. know the difference yeah. and that's where you you mentioned you know tesla uh it might be more expensive to purchase but how expensive is it to own when we ask add service and you know resale and you know everything else that's involved so um you know that's absolutely we're, we're basically when we when we remind a customer of of tco total cost of ownership we're we're quietly and politely reminding them that you get what you pay for so um you know to me that's kind of the bottom line um when it comes yeah. to price and yeah. um so yeah you'll never get an argument out of me um one last thing i'll tell you when i was with xerox remember we had a fax machine and we were you know, fax machines oops we aged ourselves didn't we but uh we here i'll age you some more we were one of the first to come out with a plain paper fax machine not that <laughs> very big deal, roll yeah. nonsense but we were the there was two other products we were the least expensive i'm not kidding you bill mm -hmm. the Salesforce had some challenges of well how do you sell it now i mean we've spent mm -hmm. our entire careers telling people you get what you pay for now what do we do apologize <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we, so yeah. uh but 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 it was an interesting kind of you know uh, quandary of yeah. how yeah. do you handle that but when, yeah. when it's ingrained but i'm telling you last thing i'll leave this if you want to prove um, you want to see what both of bill and i are talking about when you're done with this podcast or keep your uh, your earphones in and go ahead and walk into your garage you're going to see a bunch of different items mm -hmm. if it's important to you you're going to see a really nice rake if you don't rake very much you're going to see a, a, a little plastic rake mm -hmm. uh, but how important is it to you and that's why when we talk about frictionless customer service and we talk about all these things we're really talking about add up the entire experience mm -hmm. and that's how quality companies survive so and um thank goodness we've got books like yours that are not only just reminding us putting some muscle behind it right. uh so uh but but anyhow uh interesting like i said we we could make you make you a good sales trainer because prices <laughs> when i when i hit the road it is you know teach us how to close teach us how to handle price yeah. and my answer is well how about we teach you how to sell <laughs> and uh and then yeah. a lot of things will take care of itself okay uh let's uh let's wrap down with a couple simple questions if you, if you could go back and and whisper one or two pieces of, uh pieces of advice mm -hmm. to a younger you mm -hmm. knowing what you know now mm -hmm. and i'm not necessarily talking about the book give me one or two things you would you would tell yourself or remind yourself um yeah the the, the, the expression the customer is always right comes back in in in, in my quick answer to your question because there are companies that I work with and things that I've worked companies I've worked with in my career that said, no, the customer's not right. They, they don't know how to work with us or they, they, they don't understand how our products are made. But I think customers are pretty much right. They, they tell you, it's like a kid tells you what's going on without any, any filtering. Uh, let's listen to the kids. Let's listen to the customers and find out what they say to us because they may not get it exactly right, but you put together two or three of these conversations so I, I think one thing I would say to my younger self is listen to customers more. Don't just look at reports. Don't just look at, at trend lines and so forth, which I studied for many years in different businesses, but just get out there and talk to customers, listen to them, go on the firing line, go to call centers, go into retail shops, listen to customers, engage with them, find out what's on their mind because they, they will tell you the darndest things, kind of like that old uh, TV show. Art Linklater. Art, Art Linklater. I got you. Yeah, and 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 it, they it, it, it's like a... It's like 
you know, they, they do know what's going on, but they're not quite sure how to phrase it, but, but, but listen to them. Right. And so that's one thing I would do. Good. Uh, I, it's interesting. I, I would, I, uh, I love it. And, mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll, I'll just put an asterisk C bottom. And even if you ask your customer yeah. about something and yeah. what they tell you isn't really correct, they've got right. it wrong. And that right. happens. Yeah. Don't dismiss it. Figure out, again, you're looking at the tip of the iceberg. Okay. So right. how did they get that wrong? Cause we're right. not saying that, but right. just cause they didn't get it right. Doesn't mean they were wrong. That means exactly. we have to do a better job of clarifying our niche, uh, our branding, whatever we're doing, yep. the signal yep. isn't going out straight, but it frustrates me, Bill, when I hear from companies that will kind of put down information they're getting from customers and we don't even produce that or we stopped right. selling that a year ago whatever it's like yeah well let's figure out why this customer got it wrong because i don't think mm -hmm. they just came in here to have a bad day yeah so yeah. Let, let's track it all right last question i'll let you go how about uh, a mentor or two and and uh that mm. was important to you and and give me a quick why uh, well, one of them was uh, Tom Peters, uh, the, the, the management consultant guy at McKinsey. I worked with him for a while years ago, and, and he, uh, he studied companies very, very closely. And one of his expressions was, if it's not broken, break it, meaning he would tell companies, if you think you're sitting on the top of the world, you're only going to be there for a little while. So you better go back and re-engineer what you're doing, re-engineer the processes, think about things closely, and fix it. I've always had that in mind, which is, don't get complacent. And when I worked yeah. at MCI, when I worked at Amazon, when we worked with so many great companies around the world, we, we, we're often brought in because things are broken or maybe not doing as well as they could be. But we love seeing cases where companies say, you know, we're, we've got great reviews. Everything's going well, but we know things must not be perfectly right. We got to make them better. So right. that old expression from Tom stays with me over the years. Yeah. The other guy is Kevin Scherer, who uh, I work with and work for at MCI. And he had a great expression uh, he went on to become the CEO of Amgen, the biotech company, uh, now retired in California. And Kevin used to say, you know, if you don't piss off someone every day within MCI, you're not pushing the envelope enough. <laughs> you got to ask for something. You got to push for something, whether it's in sales or support or operations. And that's what made MCI really successful versus AT&T and Sprint in those days is it was very feisty and, and always trying stuff. And that stuff didn't necessarily work. And other things fail, but you still tried hard to bring out new products and services. So I, I, I count both Tom and Kevin as, as mentors over the years. Wow, isn't that interesting? Now, I never met Tom Peters, mm. but um, I have a great deal of respect for him. And he also had an impact on me, uh, Bill. Mm. Uh, I was teaching a, a program at Xerox and we had a Tom Peters tape where uh -huh. he was looking at five different companies, uh, the minor right. league baseball team, the bank. Oh, yeah. You probably know which tape I'm talking about. Yeah. And um, I saw it enough where I just was fixated on it. And I yeah. really, I, I loved his delivery. I liked his message. Yeah. 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 So I'm wondering how many people quietly Tom Peters launched in one way or another. Uh, so I never right. worked with him or met, met him, but yeah. he certainly caught my eye. And I, I just loved um I just loved his message. It's interesting. Okay, I'll, I'll give you. I'll yeah. give you one one pictorial from that, that maybe you and you and you and your and our listeners will like. He he would his presentations were primarily just pictures or quotes, and one picture was of a shower curtain inside of the shower tub at a hotel. The shower curtain inside the tub, and he says that uh, the Hilton company figured out that one of the biggest frustrations of their guests was when the shower curtain was left outside of the tub. They got in 
the shower tub to take their shower, the water just got all over the bathroom floor. So what Hilton said, and Tom Peters reminded all of us is just put that, put, make sure your folks clean the room, put that, that curtain back inside the tub. And that's one of the most customer satisfying things they can do for their cleaning. So that's just little pictures like that. Yep. Uh, well, I, I, I'll swap them with you real fast. I remember uh, he was talking about a bank in California and, you know, mm-hmm. and this again, this 80s, it was bankers yeah. hours. Uh, we really didn't have much in the way of ATM machines. You had to figure out how you were going to get to the bank. Right. And his quote that stuck with me was, God forbid the bank be open when the customer is actually around. <laughs> and um, just stayed with me. And, you know, here was this bank in California decided they were going to have evening hours and they yeah. were going to, you know, and, you know, the bank across the street went, uh oh, I guess we're having evening hours. But yeah. Uh, yeah. there was a period of time yeah. when banks, yeah. we would make a joke if somebody wasn't really yeah. working much. We go, what are you on bankers hours? You know? Right. Well, That's not right. anymore, because uh, I think a, a customer revolution yeah. addressed that. But yeah. guys like Tom Peters were on the forefront of that. Anyway, really glad you brought him up. And, um, just makes me smile thinking about him. All right. The book is The Frictionless Organization. Deliver great customer experiences with less effort. Folks, we're going to go out and we're going to get that. How can you not get that book after the, the stories you're hearing right now? Uh, we're going to go out. We're going to get that book. We're going to really put a cherry on the Sunday. And we're not just going to get it. We're going to read it. And then we're going to write a review on it because that's what we do. I'm telling you, that's what means a great deal to an author. So, um, Bill, you can remain quiet while I nudge this audience and tell them, please remember, uh, uh, you know, grab the book, uh, write a review. Uh, you'll have done a nice thing. And oh, by the way, uh, the information you just learned today, you think you're going to learn a whole lot more. So go ahead and grab that book. Bill, last question. Where can people get a hold of you? Uh, a hold of me. Uh, you want me to get my email address? I'd be happy to do that. Yeah, a website, email address. That's yeah, up yeah, to you. Frictionless.org. Uh, frictionlessorg.com. So the website is frictionlessorg.com, email address and other examples, more stories inside of that, frictionlessorg.com. Perfect. Perfect. And we'll have that contact information up on the website as well um, when we we launch. Um, In any case, I want to thank you for being on the show. Great guest. Uh, Really enjoyed your stories. Uh, Sometimes I've always have a note here, Rob, don't talk so much. Rob, don't talk so much. But uh, it was hard to stay out of it because uh, I was connecting with so much of what you had to say. But anyway, Bill, thanks so much for being on the show. I'm grateful. Appreciate it, Rob. I really enjoyed it. We'll do it again as well as we can next time. Until then, stay safe. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Outcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more information on this show and Rob at Jollis.com.